Hey guys, I'm here today with Nafisa Ashreen. She's an entrepreneur, speaker, and income growth expert specializing in helping women grow the businesses to multiple six figures and beyond. She's also the host of Living Forward TV, an online show designed to educate entrepreneurs on how to make big leaps in their income quickly. Passionate about releasing the subconscious blocks, Nafisa helps women entrepreneurs uncover their limiting beliefs around self-worth and abundance so that they can make more money and build a business and life they love. Having left a lucrative high six-figure job, Nafisa went from corporate executive to becoming the secret weapon of many highly accomplished women entrepreneurs. She specializes in working with agile, creative, and growth-minded business women, business owners who want to soar. Her inspiring track record includes enrolling includes helping clients enroll six-figure clients of their own, building a team of nine, hitting their first million dollars, and more. She strives to help her clients balance both the practical tactical how-to strategies as well as the mindset and leadership skills required to excel in business. A seasoned horseman, Nafisa includes what she's learned riding horses and approach to helping clients build their confidence and tap into the energy required to bring the vision to life. Originally from Montreal, Nafisa lives in the Maple Ridge, Ridge in Canada with her husband and their two pugs and two horses. To learn more, go to her website which is nafisashereen.com. So... That is one hell of a introduction. How are you? Thank you. Good. How are you? Doing great, Nafisa. So how did this journey all start? What was your background? I see the corporate side, but what got you into that so, world in the first place? So uh, in the corporate world or the entrepreneurial world? Let's go back before the entre- corporate world because okay. you sound like you've so, accomplished a fair bit there as well. Yes. I'm, yes. I am. Um, so I started my career in 1987, <laughs> um, working for my dad, and I, it was my first job out of high school, and I worked for him, and that was in Montreal. And then I moved to Vancouver, and I worked for um, a retail a retail shop. It was in the pro audio industry, and so this this gentleman owned a store where he sold pro audio MIDI equipment up to production studios, film studios, um, broadcast studios, and so I worked there for quite a while. And I was just, it was a final job. I was in a very creative environment, and I had a supervisor there who told me that if I didn't get some education, I would kind of just be sort of stuck where I was. And so I ended up going to school and um, getting my accounting certification. In Canada at the time, it was called CGA. Now they don't call it a CPA. And so that's what I studied. And then I was there for, I can't remember, nine or 10 years. That's where I met my husband. Um, we're still married 21 years later. And uh, then I went from there and I started to work in different industries. So I worked in construction and then I worked in um another a tourist attraction and then I went on to mining and I was there for quite some time and so throughout that time as much as I had my accounting background I never used it I worked a lot more in business development human resources and um, community development engagement project development and I my favorite part of the job was replacing myself so grooming and training people to replace me so that's how I sort of fell into coaching because I just that was the thing seeing people step up past what they thought they could do or what they could create uh, for themselves and then create something pretty cool for themselves in in their jobs and their careers okay so you kind of created accidentally created a systems kind of mentality there I I guess so yeah (laughs) I mean like a, a, a it's funny, I guess, I think everybody has their own system of doing things, right? I mean, mine is, tends to be a bit more creative, um, but yeah, it was just, it, yeah, my whole thing was to really help people okay. get what they wanted to do, so yeah. And it was very lucrative for me to do that as well. What happened, I wouldn't jump back to this, the audio guys, did you do anything and end up helping them further, or did, was it moving on to study and going to the corporate world? 
Well, I was there for about nine or ten years, um, and I, like I said, that's where I met my husband, and so I, I guess I still am helping. <laughs> Are you still, you still work for that? No, he doesn't. He doesn't work there, but he's got his own business in that in that's that nice. industry now. He he uh, he represents a lot of manufacturers in the professional audio, commercial audio, and video industry. Um, so I, I worked there, and I mean, my my I mean, I always say my very first job was collecting money from self-employed musicians. Literally, like they would come in, they'd buy their equipment on credit, and then they would have no cash. And my job was to go after them to pay their bills. <laughs> so you develop a pretty thick skin. I was 20 years old, and I was and I was so nervous, so shy. And then you know, I'd see these rocker type guys coming in and have to get kind of brave with them and ask them to pay their bills. I remember one time I didn't have a car; I was on the bus. And I saw somebody who owed us money, and I actually jumped off the bus to go talk to him about it. So it was quite a, I mean, that was in the early 90s. It was quite an adventure back then. Um, when I left that, I, uh, I stayed friends with the owner of the shop. But he, was, uh, he was so good to me throughout those first 10 years here. Um, but yeah, it was a total switch going from a more retail environment into a professional environment, more corporate construction and yeah, project management. Switching on a size business and what you can and what's important to them, like t- totally change of mindset there. Totally. Most people. Well, and the thing what I got, I think the biggest thing I got from that first job, I mean, I was there a long time, was he was very entrepreneurial, and I never forgot that. Like, I really liked the, the dynamics of entrepreneurialism. I didn't quite actually understand the risks involved because he sort of shielded us from that. But I really liked the ability to, you know, if you have an initiative or you want to do something, you just went and talked to the owner. It either happened or didn't was a big shock when I started going working for, you know, multi-billion dollar corporations that you'd have like committees. Committees, one committees, committees to do anything. So yeah. you were very entrepreneurial from the beginning, then you went to more of a corporate do your job type yes. thing. That, how did you navigate that? Because I'm curious about how you became entrepreneurial in a place that doesn't necessarily allow it as much. Is that was that the case when you started or? So when I, my very first uh, job that I left after that one for 10 years, I went and worked at a dairy and I, I lasted six weeks because it was very, very strict. There was a union environment, a non-union environment, and I just couldn't, I couldn't operate in that. And so as I was moving up through different um, companies, one of them, um, it, like they were just, they were all entrepreneurial, and even the mining company I got to was still entrepreneurial, but we joint ventured with a major company. So I had to learn, I was able to always bring that entrepreneurial skills to it, and then when I got to the to the one place where we joint ventured with this really large company, I had to learn how to be a whole different way. <laughs> I had to learn to build consensus, I had to learn to... Um, Which is it, important in of, it, in of itself, that is important, it's just yes. a very different way to navigate. Yeah, and to know that, okay, if, who who all is impacted by this? Who all is not impacted but would feel left out if they weren't included? And so you have to learn how to – it became a chess game, and that for me was very – it was a little frustrating, but it was also a very lucrative career. So, I mean, I, I, I was actually stationed in Alaska for five years, and so I really loved it. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Let's move on from there. So you in this kind of the corporate career, you're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. When did you decide to make the move out of corporate? So that was a bit of a journey because I I actually loved my job up in Alaska, but there were a lot of changes at the joint venture level and at both the companies that owned it. So all of the senior management that I was used to working with had all either been fired or quit. So I still had the same employment, but I had a totally different job. 
And it's one thing to go to a job every day you don't like. It's a whole other thing to go to another country when you hate your job. And so I went from loving it to hating it. And I remember, I'll never forget the day I got a text. I was in the kitchen. I was chowing down on a doner. <laughs> and I got this text on my Blackberry. And it just was so upsetting to me that I just took my doner and threw it across the threw it across the kitchen. And so my husband was like, I think you're done. I'm like, yeah, I think so. And so I left that and I wasn't quite sure what to do. I dabbled in a few things, but I kept getting pulled back to different mining jobs, short-term contracts, because it's what I knew how to do. I'd been in the mining industry for so long. Um, and then I just, then I was just done. I'd had enough and I really wanted to go into entrepreneurship because one of the things about mining, especially the, the one job I had, I had a lot of freedom time-wise in it because I was, traveling all these different places I, I I was able to control my schedule and so I never wanted to go back to commuting to an office or anything and I really felt like I didn't want to go down this path of uh, financial expert I really liked working and mentoring people and I had been working with a coach for a very long time in my mining career and it just felt like the natural thing to do to to move over to that so moving to some, moving to that, it's the way you've kind of developed is you're very. It's what I'm seeing with your brand. It's very feminine. And you're obviously dealing with women entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Why the decision for that? Because I'm assuming in the corporate mining area, it's very much. What's the way to say this? Maybe masculine kind of energy. The way that that industry works. Very yeah. much so. It, I, that burnt me out a lot. Um, okay. you know, so you're I had very. Suits. I had the black suits, the gray suits, the blue shirt, the little pearl collars. Like I mean, it was. But it wasn't really me, and so um, entrepreneurship is—I think—it's what allows people to really step into who they are, and yeah. Okay, yeah. so you're naturally very feminine in the way that you structure yourself, but in that industry, you weren't really your full self. No, no. I mean, there's parts I loved and there's parts I didn't. Yeah. And okay. I think for any woman that's in corporate to get to that level, because I mean, I made it up to vice president level in one of my roles. You really. It, it's all about what other people expect of you. You can't have full, full expression. And I'm, I'm more feminine than masculine. Okay. So it just didn't, it, I guess the way to describe it is I loved it until I didn't. Okay. And that makes I sense. Didn't, you, I really, you had a challenge really there did. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So moving on to the entrepreneurship, you started to become a coach. How did you transition and uh, tell us about getting those first few clients? Um, well, trans <laughs> transitioning was a bit of a journey because when I left corporate, I completely left corporate. Um, and so I thought I was going to be a health coach or wellness coach. And I wasn't doing really well at that because it wasn't my, my passion. Um, and so getting those first few clients was challenging. And for me also having worked out of the country, because when I left the Alaska job, the next one I had was in the Yukon and the one I had after that was in Arizona. So I was never in my own town. So I didn't really know anybody. And I, I remember signing up for a, a program, a coaching program, and the first thing we were told to do was to survey our list. And, and, and I, I literally sat there going, what's a list? Like, I didn't know what a list was. I was that much of a newbie. So um, I think it took a couple of years, and I had a lot of um, struggles with asking people to pay me. I had no problem negotiating my salary in corporate. I had no problem negotiating big contracts, but for myself, I couldn't do it. And then finally I had somebody who said, well, I'm not gonna work with you unless you make me pay something. And all that would come out of my mouth was $25. So it was, that was my first official client. Um, and then it's just, it, 
I still struggled until I started speaking and getting on a lot of stages and that's sort of when my, my career kind of took off. Like I started to get more clients and book income and because I was getting out in front of people. But that took a couple of years. I always say like I hit six figures my first year, but it was unfortunately in reverse. Sorry, can you... When... <laughs> I hit six figures in my first year, but it was in reverse. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> Moving on from that, how do you start to get traction there and what kind of triggered the changes? Because you've got the clients there now, starting to get a couple of big clients yes. that you're severely undercharging for. Yes. Uh, so speaking was a big one. Um, working through my own money mindset issues and, and value. I mean, I had to get the coaching to help me through that. Um, learning how to sell was a really big one. I had a lot of triggers to selling and I had to master that. Um, and then it really just came down to being confident enough and evaluated because the people I was working with, whether I was charging or not, were getting great results. There was no question there. I had to value myself as much as I was valuing them. And so once I got to that point and I was comfortable, you know, I just took different action. Like I would actually phone people and, and start um, conversations or making offers. And it's just about getting brave and doing the hard thing, doing the thing that scares you. And usually the thing that scares you is a conversation because we're afraid to be rejected. So I had to get over that. And I'm assuming it's the same thing for most of your clients that they need to get over themselves. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because it's amazing how many times like I will see people will hide behind their computers or just want to get the website just done or um, get this marketing piece or this funnel built and they feel like they're working but they're not selling. Um, and you know, one of my clients, when she finally decided to like actually pick up the phone and sell, sell she enrolled a six-figure client after struggling for a couple of years. With okay, next talk, talk us through that because that's that's incredible and kind of journey right there. What is a six-figure client, and how? What was the change that she was able to make make that happen? Was it already sitting so, there? Um, yes and no. Like, I mean, I believe opportunities in front of you all the time. We just don't necessarily see it. So. Um, I think there's a belief, especially a lot of women have when it comes to worth, is that people need to contact them. And I know that this particular client was working on doing um, tenders, um, filling in government tenders, and it wasn't working. And so she was doing a lot of webinars, low-cost webinars, charging people very little, and just wanting them to come and ask her for, you know, to do business with her. And then we really worked on her mindset and training her how to sell with integrity and because she, she had because she had a corporate career as well she had a lot of contacts in her field and so mm -hmm. it just became her reaching out to people and then having a, a, a sales conversation one day they wanted it she put the proposal together and she enrolled a six-figure client but she had to make, make that outreach to what's them. her business and it, um, she does uh, um, psychological health and safety okay so in, uh, it's servicing corporates, something so she services their... Services corporations. So like a lot, like a big, um, I don't know about in Australia, but in Canada we have with, uh, there's been there's been a lot of legislation lately to do with, I guess the best way to explain it are like um, mental health claims or stress claims or stress leave. And so for, and that affects your workers' compensation rate. So for her, um, she helps entrepreneurs, even not entrepreneurs, companies, not manage claims, but prevent them from happening in the first place, right? Which is very valuable. And so for, for companies, the investment in something like that is far less than managing all these claims. And so she's she got bold in terms of phoning people and, and making offers. Okay. 
So with these women, is a lot of your clients coming from the corporate backgrounds and moving into some sort of coaching, consulting kind of service? Um, you know, it kind of varies. I find most of my clients generally are, they're usually, I mean, some of them will be beginners, but I tend not to work with a lot of beginners. They usually have, you know, high five or six figure income and they're stuck, but they're, they're from different things. Generally, they're service-based business. Not all of them have come from a corporate background. Like I work with interior designers, uh, marketing and branding companies, um, some coaches, uh, clinic owners. So it just, it really depends what. What they have in common is they know what's going to get them to the next level isn't a new marketing campaign or, or Facebook ad. Like They know all those things are important, but they know it's how they're thinking and how they're showing up. And, and that's the thing they have in so common. Some sort of upper limit kind of blocks of where they are currently that won't allow them to get to the next level of their business. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Can you talk me through that six-figure deal? What is it that they actually change? Is it, just, is it literally just having the confidence to get in that conversation or was it, yeah, to actually, that was it? She had to, she, there was somebody that she knew she could help and had to basically tell them, you know what, I can help you with that. And <laughs> start the conversation. I mean, how many times do people do that? I remember talking to a colleague one time where she, and I, this hit me uh, and it was, I always love learning from other people because then I don't have to make the mistake myself, right? And I remember her telling me one day we were talking, she said, I'll never forget this. There was somebody that she had been um, thinking would be an ideal client for her. And she knew this person would be the ideal client. She kind of was hovering around her. And women do this all the time. They kind of maybe suggest or they think about it or they hint or they dance or they go for coffee and they do all but they never actually talk about business. And so she was out one day for lunch with this person and this person told her, well, I went and hired so-and-so. And and she said she was so devastated. And she thought, well, so she asked her, she goes, well, this is what I do. How come you, ne- you didn't hire me? She goes, well, you never told me you could help. I just figured you were really, really busy. Um, if you wanted to, you would have told me, right? <laughs> so it was the dance, right? So usually there's, direct there's communica- people. Direct communication, no one asks. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes you just find out that there's a need for somebody and they, they'll hire you. <laughs> Not always, but usually there's opportunity, right? If, if the question isn't put out there, the people don't bother to ask. Yeah. I mean, one of my client, one of my best clients, I, I, I was her client and I called her because I owed her money and she hadn't invoiced me. And uh, I called her up. I'm like, I'd really like to get this taken care of. And we started talking and, and then she said a couple of things and I just said, hey, it sounds to me like you need a bit of help here. And now she's a client. So it, it's about having the, t- teaching my clients to do the same thing, to look for opportunities. It's not about being sleazy or salesy, but generally coming from a place of service, like if somebody needs help, offer it. They can say no. Like they can say no. Again, the value output weighs what you're providing yeah. them. Yeah. It's their choice to say yes or no. But if you don't offer it, you're deciding. You're also not yeah. giving them the value there as well because they're not going to be able to receive them. Because if you know that you can help them, yeah. if you don't offer it out of them, they're not going to get that the value that they exactly. otherwise received. And they don't necessarily know that you can until you do, until you offer it. How do you go with having these conversations? Because it sounds like a well done kind of conversation for some of these clients. Or is, there so still, have, is it still like a long conversation that they've got to get, get over some confidence issues or what's, how do you structure that? How do you get to that? Well, 
sorry, I, so I'm not sure I understand the question. So with this client of yours that had that six-figure contract, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how did you get to that realization that she had that sitting there in the first place? And was there any more to be said in that conversation with you and her? Or was it purely, oh, you've got this client, go speak to them? Um, I'm trying to remember back. This was a while ago. I know she was, we'd had a call one day and she was saying that I, I have a potential opportunity here. And we went through the, the way I teach her how to, to sell. And so, I mean, really with, with it's, it's not really hard to open a conversation. Like if you just ask somebody, so what, what is it you're really hoping to accomplish? And they tell you and you ask them, why, why don't you have it yet? that opens the door right there and then you find out whether you need help or not you know whether you're going to go down that road either offer them a a consult or make an offer right there depending if it's the right time or not so it's just about it's about connecting with another person and just it and if you go in with the intention of just being helpful and sometimes helping them is not offering anything so it's just keeping that intention yep sometimes be just listening to them and see if they, if you even are fit there yeah absolutely yeah. Moving on from that, what's next in your career? What happened? You're starting to help getting these amazing results. What was the next mm-hmm. step? Because you said you're doing books, you're doing speaking. Yeah, so I mean, right now, I mean, most of, most of what I do now is, is online marketing and working through my YouTube channel. That's where I attract people in. Um, I haven't been at speaking quite a, in a while because most of it is coming through, through my YouTube channel. So, um, and, and also going out to places and meeting people and just getting to know people and again offering to help them <laughs> when I can right that's sort of a, that's a that's my philosophy is like just how can I be of service to you and if I can't help you how can I get you what you need or, or connect you with what you need that's just to me that's that at the end of the day if I can be of service then I've done my job brilliant if you were to tell females coming out of corporate and going into self-employed kind of thing what kind of tips mm-hmm. do you give them like the top five things for them to know moving out of the corporate world and coming into a self-employed world what do they need to be prepared for and what do they need to I guess, set up so the first thing i would tell them is before you quit that job get a line of credit set up because you it's not if it's when you're going to have a hiccup and need to borrow money far better to use a line of credit than a credit card because it's way cheaper to borrow that money and it's a lot easier to get it when you don't need it. So get that set up. <laughs> um, also, um, do work on your on your mindset around money because that's one of the hardest things for women to do is to price themselves properly. Um, I think the third thing I would tell them is to get, to really focus, to really focus on getting their first paying clients. I know there's a lot of glamour with being online and I don't mean to be a hypocrite because I am online all the time, but I didn't get, I didn't start there and building an online business. If you don't have that much cash can take some time. Like you need to bring money in. So it's a, having one or two conversations can actually land you one or two, five or $10,000 clients right away. And then you can build and you can get bigger and you can scale and then you can go online because you've got money coming in. But I think that's the most important thing is to just focus on getting those first few clients organically. It's, it's the one thing nobody wants to hear, <laughs> pick up the phone and call somebody, but that's going to get you a business and that's going to get you the money. And then you can build all the other systems out. You can build the online, you can get yourself out there but so much better if you actually have cash coming in while you're doing it. In my experience, especially women get caught up in this thing of needing a website, <laughs> needing all the pretty socials. 
Why do you think mm. that is? Whereas, again, this is massive generalization. I find men tend to be a bit more practical or take practical advice on quicker. Um, so I have worked with a few men and I, so it could just be the type of client that I attract, but that's been the same with all of them. I got to get my website done. I got to get this done. I got to get that done. Um, I think it's fear. I think it's a fear of rejection. I think it's feeling like if it's not perfect, you can't go out there. It's a fear of what other people think. So, and you can really feel like you've done a whole day's work and you sit behind your computer, you know, fiddling around with Infusionsoft or MailChimp. But if it's not bringing in money, it's it's not the right thing to be focused on right away. And it's just a way of, I think it's a, it's a fear thing to do. And I will tell people my first year in business, I didn't have a website. Like I, and actually, I was making money and I still didn't have a website. I was about two or three years before I had one. Because um, I just didn't have the time or money to do it and it wasn't the most important thing. You know, and a, and a fancy logo is not going to help you sell. <laughs> it's not going to help you make money. <laughs> okay, so we've got Getting, the work, getting out and doing stuff, making sure they've got a line of credit, any other yes. major kind of... Get clear on who your client is and what you're selling. Like, you can't be everything to everyone. And I think that comes from um, a place of scarcity. Like, people say, well, I, I, I can help everyone. It's like, no, you can't. But I understand that fear, too, because I've been there where I thought anyone with a checkbook and a pulse was my perfect client. <laughs> but, but they're not. And if you can focus, it doesn't mean that this ideal client is the only person you're going to serve, but at least you can get your marketing efforts sorted. Then you can create what it is you're selling and tailor it. You can get your marketing done. You can start to attract people in. You can speak in the right voice and just get some clarity and, and have clarity on your potential client side as to what you do for them. Awesome. So really getting focused before they, is this before they get entered or they, as they um, I, I think, you know, I think it's an ongoing thing though, right? Like you have to you develop as you change who we actually work with. Yes. And you, you'll never think your way into clarity. So you just have to go out and do it and experiment with things. Like I had a couple of chosen niches that were really bad ideas, but I didn't know that until I tried them. <laughs> so I was like, this isn't working. <laughs> awesome. awesome. If people want to learn more about you and get further into your world and like sort of see some of these strategies that you've laid out on this interview and this podcast where can they go um i think probably the best part is my youtube channel it's it's just you go look for nafisa shireen obviously there's my website which is nafisashireen.com but all of this like my youtube channel has tons of content and free downloads and everything for people on it amazing all right guys thank you for joining us on the podcast today if you want thank to check you for out, having me go to nafisashireen.com and speak to you guys next time